0: Good morning. How's everybody doing today? Good. It's good to be together worshiping. The songs of praise, bringing our voices together, which I know I'm not the best singer, but I know it's a holy noise, a pleasing noise unto the Lord. Would you pray with me? Gracious Father, we we thank you for the gift of this day. You are the Lord and giver of all things. We pray that Our worship of you is pleasing. We pray, Father, that you would grant us your spirit anew today, that in the Holy Spirit we would be bound together as your body, that in your spirit we would receive the invitation to repent, that in your spirit we would receive the forgiveness of sins. Father, we pray that today we take a time to hear from those who have gone before us to better understand what this life of faith, this, this idea of living by faith, what that, what that means for us today here in this place. Be with us, Father, today. Be with our children who are studying about you as well. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we've had—it's um, been, it's been a fun several weeks here, right, working through the book of Acts. And i got to tell you, one of the things that I find more challenging— Uh, as far as from preaching or trying to extract meaning, if you will, from from the Scriptures, is is how do you take a narrative? That is to say, so if you think about the narratives in the Scriptures, we have like the Old Testament, which is like lots of narratives, some wisdom speech, that kind of stuff. But in the New Testament, we have the Gospels, and we have Acts, and then we have like Paul's letters. That's kind of how the New Testament works. And in the Gospels, you have Jesus, the narrative of Jesus, his birth, his ministry, he's going here and doing there and doing this. He says some important things, no doubt, especially in John's gospel. And then here in the book of Acts, we really have Luke's gospel part two, right? So we've heard, we've heard the story of the gospel of Jesus Christ according to Luke, and then Acts, the Acts of the Apostles, is really kind of the rest of this, how it, how it gets played out. Because we cannot overstate how significantly different what the faith, what the revelation of Jesus is, how significantly different it is for those who were the people of God in the Old Testament. That is to say, in the Old Testament, it's defined by a people, a nation, right? The Jews, Israel. And that doesn't mean you couldn't be part of them. In fact, there were many converts over the years and ways to become part of God's people among all the other nations. And then we have this New Testament thing going on, which is very, very different. And this is really what what Acts is all about. Acts is, is kind of going through the narrative. We have, obviously, Jesus appearing, and then the day of Pentecost, which is pretty significant, right? Where the Spirit comes, rests upon the apostles, and they speak, and everybody that's gathered hears in their own native tongue. An amazing thing. And then the big difference here is that as the apostles go forth, and the Christian church, as we know it today, begins to be displayed... There's all kinds of, especially in the early chapters of Acts, this is of God, this is of Jesus, this is of the Spirit, this is not. Okay, another struggle, this is sanctified, this is what the Christian church is about, this is not. And it goes on and on and on. And our big actors in the initial part of Acts is, is like the rock, right, Peter, you were kind of the chief apostle at the time, and then in chapter 9, eventually we have this this conversion of this guy named Saul, Saul who would become Paul, Paul or Saul, who was a great, great follower of the law who was chastising and persecuting Christians. And yet Jesus himself would come and meet him along the way. And so then in the back half of the chapter of Acts, we kind of go forward and Paul becomes really the main actor. And that's where we find ourselves as we go forward to this. So. Again, the hard part for me is as they're going here and there and and doing things 2,000 years ago, is what does it mean for us today? So it's free to, I'm giving you the invitation today to admit the struggle, right? What does it mean for me? I, I hope, I pray, that you're spending time as we're going through and reading the text. I know many of us are gathering for devotions in the morning. If you don't know about that, come on out and join in. I'll I'll confess that I'm a fairly irregular attendee, I'll admit it, right? But we still have the opportunity to be bound together and read these scriptures and trying to figure out what these things mean. I'm also going to really insist, it's easy for us today in in our world where I have the entire scriptures on my phone and I can be anywhere reading it, to, to almost individually create some meaning out of the scriptures. What, what I mean is that I want us to be, be diligent in trying to understand what, what was the message originally being conveyed to us. These things are happening in a certain context, in a time, and a place, and that's important to understand. It's not purely for me to take my own meaning out of this. I, I need to pay attention, and if I can't do that myself, maybe I should find some brothers and sisters that we can do this together, because there's been a lot a lot of work, a lot of study, a, a lot of time put in. There's some tremendous resources, and this really is the nature of, of how the Christian church should live this out. I mean, okay, it is this little soapbox here. Long introduction today, isn't it? Well, that's right. We'll work through it. The idea of how we live out Christianity today was such a foreign thought to the time of the New Testament. I mean, think about it. Most folks couldn't read. The, the holy writings were on, on, on such precious material that they, everybody didn't have a copy in their house. So how did you learn? It was an oral tradition. You got together as people. You shared meals. You talked about your life. Someone that was more mature than you in the faith instructed you. That's how it was passed on. So we have an amazing privilege today that we do have this and we can read it on our own no matter where we are. Yeah, let's let's really hold tight, folks, to the fact of the importance of getting together so we're being faithful in our views, faithful in our studies. And that's what I'm trying to accomplish for us today. Because again, I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you this isn't easy to try to walk through some of this narrative and try to figure it out. Because we're in the section of Acts, chapters 17, 18, 19 were part of the last week's readings. And Paul's going here and his friends, and he's going there and he's doing different things, and we're trying to figure out what, what does that mean for us. So So I'm going to read a little bit. We're going to kind of just walk through here today. So I I invite you to to kind of check in. Let's stay after this. I'm going to set up. We're going to be reading from chapter 17, starting in verse 16. But let me just read verse 15 real quick to kind of set the tone. Those escorting Paul went with him all the way to Athens. So Paul's on the way with some, some friends with him. Then they returned to Berea with instructions for Silas and Timothy to hurry and join him. So here's Paul waiting, right? So Acts 17, verse 16. So while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was deeply troubled by all the idols he saw everywhere in the city. He went to the synagogue to reason with the Jews and the God-fearing Gentiles, and he spoke daily in the public square to all who happened to be there. So keep in mind, right? Here's Paul in kind of a foreign city, if you will, and he's he's just paying attention to what's going on. He's out in the public places. He's watching. And where does he go? He goes to the synagogues, because what did I tell you earlier? Paul was a great, great Jew, right? He, was a, he, was, he knew the law. If there's anybody that could sit alongside someone that really knew the law, that would say the Old Testament, knew that really well and kind of help them understand how it has been fulfilled in Christ, my money is on Paul. He can do that really well. But that's not just the setting here. So he's doing that because that's been all of his ministry, but he's also just in the community. Verse 18, he also had a debate with some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers. When he told them about Jesus and his resurrection, that is Jesus' resurrection, they said, what's this babbler trying to say with these strange ideas he's picked up? Others said he seems to be preaching about some foreign gods. They took him to the high council of the city. Come tell us about this new teaching, they said. You were saying some rather strange things, and we want to know about what it's all about. It should be explained that all the Athenians, as well as the foreigners in Athens, seemed to spend all their time discussing the latest ideas. So apparently, they didn't have to work, right? They got to sit and hang out and just kind of, you know, a lot of discussion. I, I bet today there's a lot of discussion about the, you know, the football. I could do the same thing at home right now on ESPN. The pregame has been going on for uh, probably started last night. The conversations, all kind of talking. So we know what So these folks are sitting around though, talking about, you know, life. And what does it mean to really be smart and, you know, all this kind of virtuous, right? The big words we hear from from Greece. So Paul, standing before the council, addressed them as follows. Men of Athens, I notice that you are a very religious in every way. For as I was walking along, I saw your many shrines. And one of your altars had this inscription on it, to an unknown God. Paul's paying attention to what he's seeing and hearing and experiencing. And I I, I tend to assume, I can't prove this, I would assume that Paul is in the conversations is hearing how people are talking about their life, how people are describing what it means to be a man, a woman, a husband, wife, a father, a child in, in Athens at this time. I tend to think that Paul is sitting there thinking about what they're saying and how different his view of the world is. This is one of those times we probably can make some parallels to our experience today. Now, I'll admit I haven't walked around or gone to too many friends or new acquaintances' homes and found a shrine in their home to an unknown God. I trust you probably have not either. But as we heard from the narrative there, Paul was walking about Athens and he was seeing the many, many idols that were in existence, the houses that they had built for their idols. How about idols? Do you have any in your life? Do you see friends and family and co workers that do? Peel this back a little bit here. When I say, Do you have any idols? What in your life gives you a sense of security? What in your life gives you a sense of meaning? What in your life gives you an identity that you can be known by? Is it your work? Some of us, and I'm not going to exclude myself here, I, I, I really, I love my job. You know, I've, I've loved the opportunity I've had over the years to work. I was in the business world. I went to seminary, studied. I was a, a full-time um, pastor for several years, and I'm back in the business world. And, and i got to say, I've, I've loved all the above. Not that they're easy, but I've loved them. And, and as a probably a typical man, they have given me a lot of my own sense of meaning and value and security. Over the years, my wife and I have made a, a few changes, a few moves, in fact. And, well, our kids too, but they're older now. They're out in California. We finally got away from them. I mean, we... <laughs> it's okay, hon. Yeah. Empty nesters. <clears throat> We're still their parents. But we went through a lot of changes. And, and I have to say that I always waffled between the, I know this is going to be okay because... I can go do what I need to do to make ends meet, me, and I know the Lord's in charge, and, and no matter what my plans are, His plans will will come to fruition. And but but I've you know I've done this and I've gone to school and blah blah blah. But but the I mean back and forth, back and forth. It's it's not an either or, folks. But we need to stop and at least take inventory about. What do you look toward when when you have a struggle? And not just about prayer, but I mean, I mean, what are you working towards? I and mean, we got some young folks that are working towards a career, and that maybe that first really good job, and that's going to be the one that works it out. Or, or maybe we have some folks that are that are that are dating, that are looking forward to being married, and and that's going to work things out. And especially once I can fix him or she can, whatever it is, <laughs> right? Because hymn, hymns need a lot of help. I'll be the first one to say that. But whatever it is. Maybe it's, you know, I'm going to have a good month next month, and that, that extra paycheck, I can work some overtime, is going to finally get us ahead. I mean, I mean what is it? Our, our life is full of activities. That's good. It's good. But, but we have the exact same tendency that the folks in Acts would have had, to, to put things that, that really we can control in the midst of, well, our altar, that is, the idols that we look toward. Sitting and getting together and talking about life is a great, great thing, um, and sharing our struggles. I pray, I pray that we start to peel back some of those layers about what, what really gives us meaning. The car, the job, the checking account, whatever it is, our football team today, there's going to be a lot of folks wearing their idols on their back today. Hear me. These things are not inherently evil. That's not the point. The point is where we put them in our lives. The point is how much of our effort and meaning they take hold of, right? Right? We get that? Are you guys with me? Okay. Thank you. I like the sir. That's an extra <laughs> extra bonus. Authority. There's another one we might idolize at times. Uh, whatever it is, take time to think about it. Take time to think about what is giving you identity. So Paul continues because he has this amazing opportunity to finally address, right? He's he's just been hanging out. I gotta say, this is so. Unlike Paul, if there was, you know, one person in the New Testament that should never be married, Paul's got my vote. He'd never make, there's a reason why he didn't kind of like, he went and started a church, he didn't stay there for five years or 10 years because he probably would have upset everybody, right? But he was he was an amazing, amazing prophet, amazing one to go into places and be able to sit and listen and learn. And this, this experience here is probably a little bit different than how he handled other places. Think about some of his very, very direct letters that we have in the New Testament, whether to the Church of Corinth or Ephesus or Philippi, as David was telling us about us last week, right? As he's going about his journeys, and then the letters that he shares to address real, real concerns and practical matters in the congregations. So again, here's Paul addressing the council. This inscription to an unknown god. This god, Paul says, we're here in verse. Uh, what verse are we in? Twenty-three. This god whom you worship without knowing. Is the one I'm telling you about. He is the God who made the world and everything in it. Since He is Lord of heaven and earth, He doesn't live in man made temples. And human hands can't serve His needs, for He has no needs. He Himself gives life and breath to everything, and He satisfies every need. From one man, He created all the nations throughout the whole earth. He decided beforehand when they would rise and fall, and He determined their boundaries. His purpose was for the nations to seek after God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. This sermon, if you will, that Paul is giving is taking what they know, where they are, and connecting some dots for them. Look at how important what Paul has done in just sharing and being with people to get to know where they are and what's going on, and he's just connecting some dots. You've been looking for this, he says. You've been trying to find something. In fact, you've even built a shrine that has to an unknown God. Let me tell you about that God. This one that you've seen and done things that you don't understand, that you can't comprehend, that you, that you know are powerful, this is the God, and he, is, he is, needs no home. He needs no shrine. He needs no house because he is bigger than anything that you understand. He is the God of creation. Everything has been made by him. Everything we have is from him, and he's not some faraway, distant God he is near, he is close, he's right here. This is stu- such a stark, a different message at the time. At this time in, in, in the world, in, in Paul's day, everybody, every nation has their own idols, their gods, and the, the people have built little houses for them to live in, which if I've got to build a house for the God to worship, I'm, I'm thinking he's not that big a God, Right? But nonetheless, that was every, every religion at the time except for that of the living God of creation revealed in Jesus Christ. And this is what Paul is telling them. He's making some connections for them. For in him we live and move and exist. As some of your own poets have said, Are we? we are his offspring. And since this is true, we shouldn't think of God as an idol designed by craftsmen from gold or silver or stone. God overlooked people's ignorance about these things in earlier times, but now he commands everyone, everywhere, to repent of their sins and turn to him. Hmm. Is this the message we've heard before? I'm going to take you back, which maybe some of you were here. I know Marshall was. We were talking about this earlier, I think, in December, last time I had the opportunity to share the word with you. We were talking from the book of Matthew, again, a narrative about Jesus. About Matthew's telling of the gospel of Jesus Christ and how those things went. And what did Jesus do? And this is consistent actually in all the the gospels. What did Jesus do when he shows up? Well, before him, who was the forerunner to Jesus in Matthew's gospel? John the Baptist, right? What was John doing? John was down at the River Jordan calling Israel, the people of God, repent of your sins, turn to the Lord. What does Jesus show up? Jesus shows up and he says, the kingdom of God is here, right? How did we redefine kingdom? Is kingdom a place or an activity? Oh, come on. It's only been a, well, a little over a month. Is kingdom a place or an activity? It's an activity. So he said, what's another word instead of kingdom we can use? What does a king do? A king reigns. The reign of God is at hand. The reign of God is here. The action, the activity of God's inbreaking is here, and it's Jesus. Jesus is doing this. The reign of God is here. Repent and believe unto eternal life. This is what Paul is, 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 is hearkening back to. Those of us who know the gospel should, should hear this. When we hear repent, I want you to think about Rob up here, you know, pointing at myself, which is not the point, pointing at, this is Jesus. Paul is going back and saying, repent. God revealed himself in Jesus Christ. Repent. He is the reigning. He is the activity. He is the action. He is the relationship. He is God making himself known for all to see in ways that are near and dear, walking alongside. It's an amazing gift and revelation that God gives us absolutely consistent with all of the law and the prophets or the Old Testament being fully demonstrated in Jesus. So Paul didn't say that, but that's what he means. (laughs) But now he commands everyone everywhere to repent of their sins and turn to him. For he has set a day for judging the world with justice by the man he has appointed. And he proved to everyone who this is by raising him from the dead. That's not, that's not a small point. We're going to come back to that one here in a minute. When they heard Paul speak about the resurrection of the dead, some laughed in contempt, but others said, we want, we want to hear more about this later. And that ended Paul's discussion with them. But some joined him and became believers among them, where Dionysius, a member of the council, a woman named Damaris, and others with them. Look at what Paul's doing, right? He, has, he finally gets this opportunity. He didn't barge in and say, let me tell you what's going on. They said, hey, we want to hear about this teaching. Come with us. We want you to come talk to the, the smart people in our group, the council. And Paul has the opportunity. He just lays it out. Especially about this, this, this resurrection of the dead. This, this amazing statement, the sign, the one of victory, that what Jesus came to reveal, and we talked about his ministry, public ministry, but, but that was all pointing toward the cross. Everything Jesus did was to show that I am the Son of God. I am the ruler of all creation. I am raising people from the dead. I am giving the blind, their sight. I, I am restoring creation, which is exactly the promise, again, harking back to what John the Baptist said, all the promise of the law and the prophets, the Old Testament, was that one would come from God to reveal and restore all things. And that was Jesus In the gifts that he gave over and over and over again, full well knowing that his mission his job was to be the, the savior of the world. Nobody else had that. Nobody else had that opportunity, that, that role to play, but Jesus did. And he, he goes, and he, an innocent man being convicted as a criminal, being given a criminal the worst death, a crucifixion, held up on the tree for all to see, to finally give up his last and to be buried and to die. The Son of God died. And three days later, he was raised from the dead. Those that went to see him and to care for his body, full well expecting to find the body, found an empty tomb. And Jesus would then go to show himself to many of the brothers of his followers, to show and to promise. And that takes us right into the book of Acts. Right into the day of Pentecost and how these things would go and move forward. See, see Paul's message is one the christian message is one that you cannot remain neutral to that is to say and as paul was talking that day some laughed in contempt others said hmm there's something about that i want to hear more about i i want to ask some questions i want to see if he can talk to to my issue i I want to be with the people that are following him there's something different about them You, you cannot remain neutral Today in this place, you cannot remain neutral. Now that is not to say that sin does not have a consequence. I know that there are some here today, maybe it's not your idol, something you've propped up for your meaning and and identity and and safety and security. Maybe it's, it's something that someone else has done to you. Maybe there's something in life by no action of your own that either causes you to wonder if God is real, to wonder and really question if you're valuable enough by God, or to wonder if if this makes any difference at all. If that's what's going through your heart and your mind, It's okay. God knew that you'd be sitting here in this place today with those questions. God knew that you'd be here in this place with a burden, with a desire, maybe not even to repent, but just to be reminded maybe, restored, maybe hugged. I don't know what it's going to take. I trust that the Lord knows exactly every content of your life. And I trust that the Lord has a plan for you. I want you to know that there is nothing, nothing, that can separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. The Father, hear this, The Father sacrificed his son for you. This isn't some fairy tale, folks. He crucified him for you. Whether it's because you're too proud or bold, unwilling to repent, whether your heart is cold or whether you're so broken that you you just don't think you matter to God. God loves you, God wants to be part of your life, he wants you to feel and experience that love, and it happens in so many, many amazing ways, right? As We gather as a family, as we worship together today, as, as we experience baptism and the supper, I mean, we've got, we've got the full meal deal here today, folks, you realize that? We're going to celebrate a baptism where Jesus comes in the water. He comes in the promise. His his promises are always fulfilled. And he says, you are my child. He puts his name upon you. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, you are marked as his child. And you have this this meal where we get to eat and drink the body and blood of Christ. These are the kinds of gifts that that are simple and they're happening all over creation today in little places like this building. The God of, of all creation comes near to us. The one that Paul is talking about, who he knew exactly what the revelation of God was, is coming near to us. I think the joy, as much as the difficulty is to understand the narratives and the scriptures, one of the joys is that we have people that were just as jacked up as you and I are. I mean, a mess. I mean, read some of this, this scripture stuff. Some of these Old Testament things. They were a mess, and they got to see God working in ways that were like, visible and stuff happening. Jesus was walking alongside of them, and they still had struggles and challenges, and so we shouldn't be surprised, right? Our, our life is full of details that, that God gives us to work, and those are good, good things, so treat them as such, but never question if God is for you or against you. If you ever have a question about that, right, you've got images all over. I love the stained glass here. Jesus says, I'm here for you. Come, my children. I've come to you first. I want to receive you again. The Lord gives us gifts to sustain and encourage, to nurture our faith. We pray for his spirit to come, to bind us together as the one body. Would you pray with me? Gracious Father, we, we thank you. It um, may be difficult, Father, for, us, for some of us to say thank you, knowing how difficult our lives have been. But Father, help us to trust that in so many ways, the details of our life can be opportunities for us to share with others. In so many ways, the details of our life can become opportunities for us to say, yes, this is exactly what happened in my life, but you know what? I have hope. I have hope in eternity. I have hope that the resurrection is mine in Christ Jesus. And let me tell you about it. Let me share with you what what I've gone through. Let me share with you about where I find hopes. And and Father, help us to be ready to share not just the good days, but the bad days too. Father, we pray that your Spirit would bind us. That the one Spirit, one Lord, one baptism would bind us, Father, in, in our studies in our small groups, in our our conversations, in our neighborhoods, that we would be your people, your messengers going forth to share the good news of Jesus Christ. Father, Father, may our, our worship continue to be pleasing unto you. Father, reassure us each and every day, each and every moment, that we are your children. And as long as that's the case, Father, the rest is just details. Details which we get to participate in and be your hands and feet, your means of grace, but yet they're details nonetheless. Father, we thank you for this time. We pray that the rest of our worship today would be encouraging to us as your people, that you would grant us, that we would take hope, that we would receive the forgiveness of sins. It's in Christ Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.